Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more info on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. How's it going, Pastor Rich? It's going great, Pastor Chris. Wonderful. That's so good to hear. So we're jumping into a new series where really, you know, we have a few of these throughout the the ages that we call Meant to Be series, and we just talk about what the Bible tells us we're supposed to be. And I think really the framework that we're looking at here is we're looking at God as our father, the ultimate parent, and then we're responding as spiritual parents to those that are in our care for discipleship. So we started off with... Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to read just a couple of little chunks of it. But Paul says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then he ends it in verse 7 with, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And I think the first thing that I would, you know, if we had hours and hours and hours and hours to preach, which I would love that. Yes. I know, yes. I know you all feel that I would love that. I think I would spend a lot of time just working through all of the different analogies or times that God is described as a father throughout the scriptures. You know, he's, he's the creator, yes. But almost immediately in Genesis, you see him sort of, creating this father-like relationship with a number of individuals in his care. You know, I'm thinking of Noah, thinking of Abraham. But then he talks about the Israelites in the book of Exodus. I, I'm, you know, I'm going to draw you out of this. I'm going to take care of you. He shows up throughout the Psalms with this, this father-like idea. Uh, and then we move into the New Testament where it's really not only the father taking care of the son, but then that son redeeming us back as sons. So there's all these different category stories that sort of lay God out as a father, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Although that can be difficult for some folks from time to time. Right. Because when we think about father, we'll bring in our own experiences of our own fathers or grandfathers, things we've heard. Uh, Maybe we didn't have a father growing up. And all of a sudden we try to lay those those deficiencies that we have as humans onto God when we Mm -hmm. use that same word. It's almost like you wish there was a different word for like, you know, the, the father... What's that word that the theologians use? Par excellence? Is that how that works? <laughs> yeah, it is. You hear a lot of profs talk look, about that kind of thing, Look at you, right? theologian. Yeah, let me go. Look at me go. So, yeah, the, the, part of the problem is we bring then the baggage of the, um, of the lesser father examples we see, lay that on God. And, but it's all, it's all similar because, you know, the, there's this whole father um, imagery that's used. There's also the marriage imagery. And it's the same thing. We even think about marriage. We bring in what's going on in the marriages that we're in, or we see, or we've observed, something like that. And then we go, but then there are these analogies that, that you know, God uses about his uh, relationship to us as being in this covenant, in this wedding, almost in this marriage perspective. So we always have to be careful. We have to look at what he is really saying and not have it colored by mm-hmm. what we see around us. Because otherwise you could have two different views of God based on our heavenly fathers, or I should say our earthly fathers, that then taint almost the view of the heavenly father. So yeah, we have to step back from that. No, he is the perfect one. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of genius in that. If you just step back and think about 
what we often do is take the imperfect and try to apply it to the perfect. Instead of what I think the Bible's rightly telling us to do is consider the perfect and apply that to the imperfect. Right. I think that's really the strategy that we're looking for throughout this entire series is so often we look at parents and we think of how they've failed us rather than realizing we have one parent that never has. And we should realize that those two things aren't going to ever line up completely, but know that we have just enough in him to get everything we need out of what parenthood looks like. So, you know, I think of the prodigal son, for example. God is clearly the chief character in that, this idea that the father will suck the son back even though the son doesn't deserve any grace or anything like that. The fact that he does that then makes us step back and realize, oh, he is so perfect, he's doing this. And then we also see moments where God is disciplining his children, Israel Mm -hmm. or elsewhere in the Old Testament, and then we freak out with, how can God be completely loving and completely disciplinary? How do those two things go together? And I would go, maybe the issue isn't so much with our view of how those two things go together, but rather maybe stepping back and realizing those two things have to go together because God is who he is. Maybe we should then stop and consider how those things apply to us. So if someone is able to be completely loving and yet discipline their children in a loving way, but still with a, with an mm-hmm. ultimate goal. You know, I brought this up in the, uh, this illustration in the podcast before. If my kids tell me I want to go play in the street and I say, yeah, do whatever you want, who cares? It's not an unloving thing for me to not do that, but instead to say, no, I'd rather you play here in the yard with me. But we treat it as if it, me saying don't play in the street means that I'm holding my children back in some way. Exactly. And and, and conversely, because, and, and you would have that conversation with them because you're in a relationship with them. And, yep. and I would say it's in a loving relationship. Like if I'm, if I'm out and about um, at the store and I see someone else's child disobeying and that child needs discipline – I am not going over there to discipline that child. I don't have that relationship. Sure. Right? So so it's not in that context of the relationship of, of parent and child. I don't even have the right to go do so. Now, right. my own children, I do. And then, yeah, I, I lovingly sure. want to guide them to what's the, in their best interest. Now, as the one who's being disciplined, because we, we like to talk about children, not us, right? Because we right. don't have those problems. But as the one being disciplined, if you ask them at that time, it may not feel loving, because there's a battle of the wills, right? Mm-hmm. I want to do what I want to do, which is selfish. It's prideful. Um, but oftentimes upon reflection, they go, you know, that was a good thing. But in the heat of the moment, they may not see that, right? Shocking. Yeah. That children wouldn't see the big picture. Right. I'm glad adults, we have all that put together. <laughs> we, we never have that concern and never have that issue. Well, and I think that illustration is so great. And if it was a kid from youth group or a kid from church that was disciplined, you know, being needing to be disciplined and they were being terrible to their parents, let's say Aldi, right? Mm-hmm. We walk through the aisle of Aldi and I look over and realize it's a kid from youth group. I might actually step in and be like, bro, is that really how we're going to play this? Right. Because you've got a relationship, That's right? I, yeah, yeah. So your point is well made and, yeah. and really good. So thinking about relationship, I think one of the things that the Bible talks about a lot is this, uh, this theme of adoption. And yeah. adoption has such a unique framework, especially in our culture, uh, and I'm not saying that right or wrong. I'm just saying there's 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 a certain idea that pops in our head with adoption. You have a unique idea as far as adoption goes, and you have a unique perspective on some of that. So I'd love to just have you kind of open up some of that, and then let's let's dig into the the topic of adoption because we just read it in Galatians four where it says we've been adopted as sons. 
I think it's a beautiful picture, but what does that mean for us? Yeah. And what it means, so I was I was born um, in November of 66, so you can do the math and figure out how old I am. Um, 27. But, yeah, that's right, right, right there, right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually born in an orphanage um, and was there for a number of months until um, my parents adopted me. And so in that time when I was in the orphanage, I didn't actually have parents. I was in this limbo state. But once the paperwork was done, and I've seen the paperwork that was sure. done, I then actually transferred and became part of a family. And it would have been no different had my parents had biological children. We would have been in the same status. I was sure. brought in completely into that family. It's different than a relationship of, for example, of like uh, a lot of times we have foster care where that's actually designed for us to provide a temporary care and you have rights in within that as a child and we have rights and abilities, you know, and, and care responsibilities as the parent in a foster relationship, but it's not the same. It's temporary. Sure. Right? It's not, it's not permanent. But when you're adopted, your name changes. Mm-hmm. Your identity changes. And even to the point where, and I have to think about this sometimes. So like my, quote, family history, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see those. Yeah. Uh, My family history is I have adopted the stories of my grandparents and their parents and immigration to the United States and everything they did in central Illinois. and And then I have to realize and go, I'm actually, wait, that's not me. Right. I actually don't know my story of how I got to the United States. And then I have to flip back and go, but I do. I have been fully adopted into this family. That is my grandfather. That is my grandmother. Sure. And so while there's not a genetic biological connection directly, it's irrelevant. I was completely adopted. I have become an heir. I have become Mm -hmm. part of that family. Absolutely complete. And such that some people outside, you know, it's not like you walk around and say, hey, I'm adopted. I'm a lesser person. No, no, no. They would just say you're the son of, you're the grandson of, yeah. you're, you're, this is what your family is. And so it, it's a, when we apply that perspective to God, when we realize, wait, we've been adopted mm-hmm. into his family, that is significant. Mm-hmm. It's not a temporary thing. It's not a, a partial thing. It's not a lesser than because we have all been adopted into that relationship that have been adopted, right? We're all brothers and sisters. We're all right there. And that is amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And it's that's a part of your story that I don't know if a lot of people know. So it'll yeah. be interesting to hear how people respond to that part of your story. And I think the status that you're pointing out is so great. I, I know of a lot of adoptive children who are in a family where there are other whether you want to call them biological children or right. whatever word you want to use. I know some of these terms can be offensive to people. But they don't feel like they're on the same status, but your point is you are. It's not a question of whether you feel like it or not. You are at the same status. And even if maybe you get treated differently or you think you get treated differently or the perception, the reality that you think is true, it's not true. You right. you have every right and, and responsibility as kids that are born elsewhere, which is what's happening with God's family. Yeah. For us to be pulled into his yeah. family means that now we've taken on the the rights, responsibilities, the expectations of those children. And so I think some things that gets people bent out of shape with the Bible is they think, well, it's just about moral superiority and how I don't ever live up to that and yada, yada, yada. No, what the Bible is, is it's a guide for adoptive children for how to be different than you used to be. You know what I'm saying? And we take that so judgmentally, but it's not really what it's saying at all. It's telling us, no, you're part of a new family now. Go be different. Right. It's it's this guidebook of 
how to live up to the name who you've, that you've now received. Yeah. Right. So you once were, you now are adopted into this family and here's how now you should be going forward to live. We don't do it perfectly because, well, frankly, there is sin and we have our own pride and all these other things that, that we bring into the relationship. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's amazing is this adoption is also a permanent thing. It's not like, well, you were bad today, so you're out of the family. Maybe you can apply again next year and we'll see how that goes. Right. It's like, no, you were there. And God, in his, you know, perfect knowledge, knows that we are going to be disobedient even once we've been adopted into his family and we have all these rights and and we have this beautiful promise ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And he still adopts us. Pretty neat. Right? That's cool. Because what's a little bit different is when you when you adopt a small baby, babies are cute. I mean I'm just saying, I got yeah. granddaughters, three yeah. wonderful, the most amazing granddaughters ever, tied with every other granddaughter that's ever been out there and grandson. Grandparents can say that. Yeah. Right? But you're manipulating the mic. You don't actually have to say anything about everybody else being tied. True. In this case, you could just say my grandparents, my grandkids are the best. There's yeah, no question. They're, they're absolutely the best. And, and, you know, the, you know, and as babies and kids, like, they're amazing, right? Mm-hmm. But what they, and they haven't really, like, gotten into the, your face, like, I'm not going to do this. Like back to your story. No, I am going to go out into the middle of the street and throw a temper sure, tantrum as sure. you're dragging them someplace, right? Because you're trying to eat, provide safety for them. But in, but God knows that that's who we are. We are adopted in knowing that we are going to be disobedient. He knows we are going to be disobedient yeah. at some point. And yet he still brings us into the family and we still have these rights. But he calls us then to do something different. I think he calls us to live up to the name that he has now given us. Exactly. Here's who you now are. Not who you might be. It's here's who you now are. Here's how I'm asking you to live because you are now heirs and co-heirs with the other adopts, the others adopted in. Yeah. Yeah. If you just think about the status that comes with that, the, yeah, the responsibility. But then I I love your idea of, of the shared stories. You're, you're a part of it. So I, I'm almost thinking about Hebrews 11, the end of it, you know, this idea that you are now, You've got all end of eleven, beginning of twelve. You've got all these witnesses, mm-hmm. these amazing individuals who have joined the family of God already, watching you, cheering you on, saying, "Yep, come on, you're a part of the family." Right. So I'm just as much a part of the family as Elijah or Moses, or in some ways, I'm I'm actually more a part of the family than they are because I I know who Jesus is. They right. they were just seeing or picturing an idea. Uh, man, that's really cool. I yeah, like that yeah. A lot. You think about the family that we are adopted into. It is across the ages mm-hmm. and there are still others that are going to be joining. We are going to have so many brothers and sisters, yeah. all co-heirs. Yeah. Um, and then God has brought us together. It's, it's yeah. going to be fantastic. I think that's where it gets, you know, even when we talk about in revelation, this, this multitude that are going to be worshiping, we're going to look around and go, wow, look at this family that I have. Uh, we may not realize it, you know, because we, we see the family around us here, but I think we have to almost pro- mentally push ourselves and process I am part of a much bigger family than yeah. I could ever imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I think the the final thought that I have for this episode is so not only are we are part of that family, but I think if you really read the scriptures closely, most of us should stop and pause and say, "Wait, why does God have to adopt us as children? I thought we were his children. We're made in his image. We're just like him." You know, when God shows himself as as a human, he looks like a human. You know, Jesus is not walking around as a green alien or something. You know, he so clearly we are made in the image of God in a, in, in a myriad of ways, yet God has to adopt us back. So what in the world is going on? And we get a little bit of that in this Galatians 4 passage, this idea that that humans 
have just rebelled against him so many times in so many different ways. It's not that God doesn't have his rights to us, but he, we, we have surrendered the rights that, that he's supposed to have for us. We have rebelled so badly that we want nothing to do with him. He had to do something to buy us back. He's a lot like Hosea in that sense. You know, there's all these amazing passages in scripture that think of that. And I go, how cool is it that not only have we been adopted into his family, but our adoption is actually the redemption of what we were supposed to be in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Who we were supposed to be in the garden, his family, the way we act, the way we live, the way we are, was supposed to just be our nature. It wasn't supposed to be learned behavior. It wasn't supposed to be something we had to figure out later on as we read the Bible and everything else. It was meant to just be who we are, but we surrendered that. But God loves us so much that he would die for us, draw us back into his family. And now Paul can make the claim, you've been adopted as sons and as heirs, co-heirs. You, you're a part of this family through Jesus Christ, and that's it. I, to me, it's just amazing. And it sets forth this this idea for me that I just I don't fully know what to really comprehend or how to handle it. Um, so yeah, what do you what do you think of when you think of some of that? I, I'm watching your your mind just wander. You're thinking all kinds of crazy things. So. Yeah, I, I could because I'm thinking. Well, so I've always had this uh, this interesting thought, which if we had never sinned, yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah, we would all be in the garden. You know, we would we would have this massive family living. In everything being with everything mm-hmm. being provided to us in absolute peace. Of course, there would be the one tree, and I'm sure somebody would go have gone and you know mess with it. Because, <laughs> but anyways, we would have been living in this perfect harmony. And what really strikes me is the fact that that God was among them, walking mm-hmm. with them. Right after the fall, it says He was there, and then they started to hide from Him, which is ironic and funny at the same mm-hmm. time. That, but He was in their their presence was there. Mm-hmm. So that's what we would have been had sin not occurred, we would have sure. been in his presence. We're now being adopted back into that relationship. Right. So it's redeeming us from our sins, but it's also crossing us back over that sin divide that has created that huge chasm between us and him. And this is just such encouragement that this this heir, what am I an heir to? Because typically you're an heir to something that's going to be left, right, yeah. at some point. Like we think about that if, if parents or grandparents pass away, I'm going to receive an inheritance. Well, this inheritance we have is eternity back with him. Yeah. So all of a sudden it's a restoration of the garden, a restoration of who we were really right. created to be right. as humans in his presence all together living in peace and harmony. And I think that's what also then makes that beautifulness uh, that you can see in Revelation. Revelation's got a lot of, well, let's just say death, destruction, and stuff that we don't quite understand. Sure. But then there are these, at the end of it, it's like, but we're all back. Right. And that's what we're going to be inheriting is that relationship. Yeah. So I think the idea there is we are children. We are made in his image. We are supposed to be part of his family. But we've we've walked away. And he's bringing us back as his children all over again. It's beautiful. It is. It is.